Mark already mentioned the verse. Give your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4. Passage we've been looking at. We'll read the passage together. Last week we looked at what does it mean to be unified? What is biblical unity? Right? Apostle Paul, this last few months, has been teaching us what it is to take the first steps individually and as a church. And we've landed for a couple of weeks on this, this idea of biblical unity. Biblical unity. In fact, Psalm 133.1 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How many of us here would say, yes, I would love to be a part of unity, right? Because we all know what it's like at home, your marriage, with your kids, at school, on your team, at work, with your friends. We all know the pain and the agony of disunity. We all know when things are a little bit out of whack or a lot out of whack and you're just, every day seems like a struggle and it's like, can't we all just be on the same page? Can't we all just agree, right? We get, you know, and it feels like everything's a struggle and, and man, this, this idea, man, I, I Behold, how good and how pleasant. Yes, yes, unity. Man, that's a struggle. Man, that's a struggle. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we've seen again, this idea of biblical unity of us being unified as a church family really is rooted in and founded in the oneness and the trinity of God, the relationships of the Godhead. And then out of that trinity, he says, hey, when you put your faith in Jesus, you're now one is the church. Now that oneness, that harmony, that union that is positionally true, I want you to express it. Just make every effort. I love that verse 3. Make every effort. It takes effort. Right? If we all celebrate. Oh, we're the church. Oh, we're all one. Right? We sing songs about unity and we all want. But man, I love the honesty of the Apostle Paul. Make every effort. Exert maximum effort. Be diligent. To keep the unity, right? To manifest that which is already true positionally. And that's tough. That's tough because a church is made up of who? Us. Us. Imperfect, selfish, in-process human beings, right? Right? That's who the church is made up. God says, I'm putting you all together. I'm putting you all together. Last week, you know, I shared with you, I finally went out and got one. Right? And this is what's in your red tea. Show them what's in the rock tumbler. Rocks! Right? And the upper left picture is what they came with in the box. Kind of rough, dirty. How many of you like the bottom picture? Like, yeah. Right? And we shared last Sunday. Who's not happy right now in this room? As much as we're cheering them on. Yes! It's going to be so, you're going to be so pretty. You're going to be so shiny. You're so smooth. That rough edge, you're, you're, you're going to come out. And you can be on jewelry. You're going to be so pretty. You're right? Who wants off of this right now? When I was a little kid, we would the Del Mar Bear, and they had this one thing that went really fast.
class, and I remember the guy said, if you're feeling sick and you want off the ride, just put your hand up and I'll stop. There are people here who are, right? This is the church. This is the church. So again, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm sorry and you're welcome. Go ahead, because it's kind of both. It's like, it's a mixture. Sometimes it's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that, didn't mean to offend you, didn't mean to take the last donut that you really wanted, you know, all that. Didn't mean to take your seat. Right? 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 I appreciated Mike. He came in this morning. Is anyone sitting here? Is this okay? Right? And I was nervous. Nervous, right? In many ways, I love this because this is the church. And yet we come sometimes to the church, however you grew up in your church tradition, with sort of like rose-colored lenses. And this idealized notion that everybody in church is just nice all the time. And friendly and considerate, and nothing mean ever comes out of their mouth. And they always just want to, they'll give you the last donut, they'll serve you coffee, they'll give up their parking space. In fact, no one here parked close, did they? When you parked this morning, you said, Let's park far away and give up the close seats to everyone who can play. <laughs> Hurry, honey, it's closest one to the door. Right? We tend to do that. We're like, let's get there early, get the best seats, let's get the best spot, let's get, you know, after prayer, let's get the first donuts. It's so easy for us, that fast, to click into you, myself, and I. That fast, even here. Just, we're not careful, right? And, and I talked about, we grow up sort of with this. Giver versus getter. And we sometimes grow up in the church and like, what is what can I get? I hope I get a good sermon. I hope I get good music. I hope Tuesday night I get a good study. I hope I get, I hope I get, I hope I get. And last Sunday I challenged you on a Sunday to make a prayer. Lord, I want to give. I want to give. I want to give. You might not be on this side of the microphones. You might not be two feet up. But you can give this morning. Give a smile. Give a... Hey, how you doing? Give a hug, give a prayer, give a word of encouragement, give an ear. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. And if, if we were a church that really took that to heart, and every Sunday we woke up and said, By golly, I get to give this morning. By golly, I haven't, we haven't been together for a week. A lot has happened in a week. How many of you had one of them weeks? One of them there weeks. Right? Okay. So we gather after a week, and there's a lot of giving, just love, that you can do. That's life. That's joy. That, 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 when people come here, they're like, man, this is such a loving church. It's not because of me. It's you. It's you. In fact, I, years ago, someone commented to me that they weren't coming back because we were too friendly. I'll take that. I love that. Right? And what, 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 what was the discomfort? Well, a lot of times people come to church and it's new and I get that because I was in that. And you come and you want to kind of be anonymous and you don't want people to get in your business because you don't know them and, you know, who are you? And it's very, we live in this very sort of suspicious, don't get in my space type of vibe. And we bring that in so we sit back there. And then we have like three minutes of meet and greet, which is an eternity <laughs> to some. An eternity. Right? It's like, really? Really? You guys, some of you love it. You're like, yeah, we could do this all morning. Let's just talk. 
precious time. And this great others. Right? I noticed we didn't have the timer up this morning. Sometimes we have the timer up. You know, and that's I see, you know. Welcome if you're new, but yeah, I've been there. Three minutes. Everybody's talking. Everyone knows each other. I've read the bulletin ten times and I know everything in the pouch in front of me. Oh, right? That fast, if we're not careful, it can about be me, myself, and I. That fast. And, and I love the Apostle Paul. He says, make every effort to keep the unity. What is unity? It's other-centered. It's about Christ. It's about the church. And unity, honestly, is, is really rooted in just being honest. And kind of taking off the, the rose-colored glasses and realizing the church is made up of you and me. And that, that, that takes a while. That's why we're camped here, because even that, I say that, and you might even say, yeah, that's true, but man, it's, that's tough. It's not an excuse for sin. It's not an excuse for being inconsiderate or rude or so. It's none of that. It's just an acknowledgement of the reality of the church and who it's made up of. It's just that. It's just an acknowledgement of it. Right? And if you can acknowledge that, then you can give others grace. The same grace that you receive over and over, without even knowing it. How many of you have ever had kids, and you extended them grace? And they had no idea. They had no idea, growing up, how much grace was extended, right? And as a parent, you're like, one day, when you have kids, you're going to know how much grace was extended to you, right? Right, the same thing in the church. Same thing happens. You're sitting around people. They're extending you grace at times. You don't even know. You don't even know. So the same grace that we receive from the Lord, we're to receive in spirit others. Right? Others-centered. Being others-centered. And, and there's a word very closely associated. We looked at it with biblical unity. It's fellowship, right? So turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the early church. It's very interesting. Acts 2.42. You know the story in Acts 2. It's the Feast of Pentecost. Jews from around the world have descended upon Jerusalem. Some say it swells. The population swells to almost a million. Right? Fifty days earlier, Jesus had been crucified, buried, and resurrected. Ten days earlier, Jesus had ascended to heaven. And now they're gathered, right? And there's a beautiful, supernatural movement of God, right? Acts 2, verse 41, right? In Acts 2, Peter preaches. And then in Acts 2, 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Imagine this. This is the birth of the church. Hundreds and thousands of Jews have come to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit moves. Peter preaches. Woo hoo! 3,000 people get saved. How many would? Amen. 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 Now, how many of you would like to pastor that church? 3,000 people from around the region all descend. Right? 3,000 people amongst 3,000 get saved. Now they need food, clothing, shelter. They want to know who's in charge. Because we've decided to stay. We're not going home. Right? We tend to idealize this picture. It was messy. 
The birth of the early church was chaotic. As 3,000 people get saved, and many of them weren't from Jerusalem, and they're staying, and now the early church is scrambling just for daily needs, daily necessities. Imagine, imagine the tension. Imagine the potential just for the church to collapse on itself, really. Right? It's crazy. And then it says in Acts in, in Acts 2.42, look what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to pray. You can leave that verse up to you. I'm going to keep reading. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. So, incredible supernatural work of God. 3,000 people get saved. Suddenly there's the church. And look what they did in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves. They prioritized themselves. That word devoted, right? To be steadfastly attentive to, right? They devoted themselves to teaching. We get that, right? That's what we're doing right now. To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They actually devoted themselves to fellowship. Wow. We get prayer, we get teaching, but to fellowship? And that's interesting because this word fellowship, depending on your church background, your upbringing, if I say fellowship, right, there's some sign out front. Ojai Valley Christian. What is that? Is it Ohio Valley Christian Social Club? What, what are we? What is fellowship, right? Because, because I think sometimes we tend to, again, pick up these definitions that aren't really completely biblical. And then it sends us off a path that plays out in the church. How many of you have ever been in a fellowship hall? Oh, so is fellowship a place then? Is, it, is fellowship a place? Right? How many of you have ever been invited, hey, just come and fellowship with us? Is those fellowship a potluck? What are you going to do there? I'm going to fellowship. I.e. eat. <laughs> so what is fellowship? Right? Because again, if we don't understand that individually and then collectively as a church, after, after service is done, when we say, ready, break, we're going to say, okay, now it's time to fellowship. Defined as, say, go ahead. Donuts and donuts and coffee. Donuts, coffee, catching up. Is that it? And then we go, we say goodbye, nice to see you, see you next Sunday, Lord willing, and our fellowship is done. So again, much like church, fellowship is a thing we go to or a thing we do, but once we leave, we're done fellowshipping. Is that biblical fellowship? We just scatter again. And then we get back together at Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship to fellowship, and then we stop. Is fellowship something we start and stop? No. It really isn't. It's just like the church. Do you ever stop being the church? You don't. Right? How come you never stop being the church? Because we are the church. 
You can attend a church service. That's what we do. But, but you never stop being the church. In the same way, fellowship never stops. Because fellowship, at its core, is relationship. Relationship. My relationship with you. It never stops. Right? In the, in the passage there, it says, Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders, and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. In common, right? So there's a definition of fellowship, the word koinonia, right? Which again, if you watch the National Spelling Bee, that was the winning word, right? Having in common. Partnership to the mutual benefit to those involved. It's partnership. It's relationship and partnership. Here's, I love this definition. It says, fellowship is a relationship of inner unity among believers that expresses itself in outer co-participation with Christ and one another in accomplishing God's will on earth. So ideally, here's the thing. We're not just placed into the church, right? We're placed in the, into fellowship with one another. A commonality with one another that doesn't go from 10 to 11.30. This fellowship, this relationship I have with you as brothers and sisters in Christ and you have with each other, this having things in common, this joint participation, kind of goes out in the, every day of the week. That's why if someone says, hey, can you help me move? I got to move some furniture. We go. If there's a need in the body, we do our best to go. Why? Because we're all in this together. There's a commonality. Fellowship is relationship. It's who we are. It's a community of believers, right? So you got to get it out of it's a place. And you got to get fellowship out of it's a thing. We do. Fellowship is relationship. It's relationship at its core. And that relationship goes out to being inconvenienced, to giving up resources, Right? John 1, 12 says this, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor husband's will, but born of God. Romans 8, 15, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are what? God's children. Do we ever stop being God's children? It doesn't stop. We are. It's just an, we just are. Now, why is that tough? And why are like, it sounds really basic. Like, why don't we move on? Why don't we get this? Here's the deal. Why is this so tough? Because our culture is so individualistic. We have this core value called two core values, personal peace and affluence in America. Affluence is I want to get my, be material comfortable, da, 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 da. I want to be affluent, I want to be comfortable materially. Personal peace, here's my world, and I'm very picky about who I let in to my space. Right? So we have these two core values that, that we bring into the church personal peace. And comfort. All about me. And then all of a sudden we say, wait, you're the church. You're supposed to have everything in common. Right? We're supposed to give of ourselves self-sacrificially. And, and, but you were raised and it's like, no. This is my stuff. This is my time. I worked hard for this. Right? 
And so we live in this culture that's very individualized, very individualistic, very self-centered, and then you're thrown into the church, and you sure fellowship isn't just potluck? So a little quiz. What is that room called here? The what? Yeah. We didn't pick that name just because it was cool. We intentionally did not call that the fellowship hall. We called that the commons. Why? Because we're all commoners. Next week we're going to look at what we all have in common. But the truth is that's the commons because as children of God, we have the four things, the most essential things in our relationship with the Lord and each other in common. Right? Anyone um, have any common struggles? Common temptations? How about a common enemy? You see what I'm saying? Right? A lot of times the church, we get so much infighting, and we forget that the real enemy isn't the one next to you. So just turn to the person next to you and say, see, I told you I'm not the enemy. Come on, just turn to the I told you I'm not the enemy. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Right? There's a classic thing. It's amazing. The church. Someone said this years and years ago, and it was related to ministry, and I really took it to heart back then. The church, as an entity, is really good at shooting its own wounded. Because we forget that if you're going through something, the person next to you probably is going through it because we hold that in common. We live in a fallen world. We deal with a fallen nature. We have a common enemy. There's no one in this room who doesn't share things with you. Struggles, joys, answered prayers, broken hearts. We all share it in common. And so it takes a little bit. And, and this is one of those things you gotta, it, it can radically change your participation, your joy, your, your involvement here, that this is, this is where God is calling you. If you begin to see yourself in fellowship, in common, with everybody that calls on the name of Jesus. Amen? Suddenly, it's not a spectator sport anymore. Suddenly, you're in just because you're in. You're in just because you're in because God put you there, right? Key word is partnership, right? There's this mutual dependence. How many of you like admitting you're dependent and you need help? Anyone? How many of you struggle with asking for help? How many of you struggle with asking for directions when you know you're lost? Or is sitting next to somebody who struggles. Right? We have this thing, so we have personal pleas, we have affluence, and a biggie that, that, that struggles at the church to be the church is just pride. Just straight up pride. There is this mutual dependence we have on each other. And yet, need any help with that? I got it. You're moving, right? Yeah, do you need any help moving? Nah, I got it. I got it. How many of you know that phrase? I got it. I got it. All right, we're here. I'm off. Give me a call. I guess cool. I got it. Right? I don't want to inconvenience you. I don't want to, right? We make, we're really good. I get that not inconvenience but man, how much more free would we be if we just acknowledged we need help? We just don't have it all together. Nobody has it together. And there are times when you do need help, right? I love 
1 Corinthians 12, 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. You need help with that move? I got it. What is that? Where, where is that, right? And honestly, I think it's just a lot of self-reliance. Pride, don't want to look like we don't have it all together. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to. It's like, dude, we're the church. We have everything in common. I might need help. I might call on you one day for help. It's okay. It really is. And yet, it has to be a work of, of the Spirit in us to give us that freedom just to share lives. And I know that takes time. I really do. I know not everyone's church experience has been pleasant. And sometimes you get burned by churches. The very first church I was at, the church, the first church I was on staff with, a young believer, a young in ministry, some things were, decisions were made at the leadership level, and quite honestly, I wanted to be done with the church. I was like, peace out. Are you kidding me? It wasn't just the laity. No, it just was church leadership stuff. And I'm like, Am I cray cray or anyone else see what's going on here? And I remember I was so disillusioned, so, so angry and so bitter. As a young pastor and a young Christian, I'm like, dude, really? Really? And, and I had a, a mentor, a pastor I worked with, um, Miles, Miles McPherson. And I went to him and I said, Miles, dude, really? And I just, and I just, blah. You ever have those moments where you just need to go blah? Because I'm wondering, right? So I'm holding it in, holding it in, da-da-da-da-da, and I go, Miles, blah! And he listens, and he listens, super wise guy. And he goes, he goes, Richie, man will always say, but God never will. He said that to me as a young pastor 25 years ago. Man will always say, but God never will. And what was he checking? He was checking my focus. I was so angry and bitter at these man decisions and I was ready to bail on church and bail on ministry. And suddenly Miles is like, dude, really? Okay, yeah, man will always fail you, but God never will. And it was a check. It was a check. Where am I focusing? Why am I so angry? Why am I so bitter? What do you, you know? And I remember the freedom I had to just go say that to him. But I, I was struggling with that. And there was, there was such a, a whew, to be able to share a struggle. Right? Maybe I'm talking maybe more to the guys in the room than the ladies, because guys tend to be a little more reserved and a little more like, nah, I got it, dude. Yeah? No, we have it's all, it's all open. It's all in common. We share much in common. And if we kind of get that, it can help us just to extend grace to one another. The grace that we receive. Right? <laughs> 1 Peter 1.22 says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. That verse, one of my favorite verses, but it's kind of confusing when you read it the first time. It says, Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. He's like, what are you saying, Peter? Okay, love, love. Now that we love each other, we're supposed to love each other. What's up with that? Right? What he's really saying here, and it's, it's in the Greek, it's two different words for love. He says, 
Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love, that's phileo love. Philadelphia. So you have brotherly love. Phileo love is hangout love. What we typically would call fellowship. I like you, you like me, we like hanging out, right? We're friends. Friendship love. Phileo, brotherly love, right? So hey, now that you like hanging out with each other, phileo love, love one another deeply from the heart. And another love is agape love. Self-sacrificial love. The love that love. Jesus' love. And why is that verse super important for us? Because if we're not careful, in the church, we can tend to just stop at phileo love. We can come here, we can enjoy conversation, we can enjoy commons, we can just enjoy each other's company. Nothing wrong with that, unless it stops there. That's when you say, hey, oh, I've got a Christian fellowship. Hey, you who attend the well. Awesome that you like each other. Right? So turn to the person next to you and say, yeah, I like you. Yeah, I like you. I like hanging out with you. We have a lot of phileo love here. It's it's attractive. He says, now that you have phileo love, don't stop there. Church, you've got to go to agape love. What is agape love? Self-sacrificial love for the benefit. Self-sacrificial love is like, you know what? I desire your well-being, so I'm going to give my time, energy, and resources for your benefit with nothing in return. That is self-sacrificial love. It is desiring the best, doing the best for somebody, expecting nothing else. <laughs> that's that. That's what that's the godly love that Jesus had. In fact, look what he says in this verse here. 1 John 3, 23, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to, what? Love one another as he commanded us. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given this command, whoever loves God must love his brother. Isn't that powerful for a church? Think about that in the church context. If you're sitting here, and you got a problem, and there's discord and dissension with a brother and sister, and yet you come here according to this, and you say, I love God, and I'm going to sing how much I love God, but I don't like you, <laughs> or you, or you, but I love God. You can't do that. See, how we get along matters to Father. Anyone as a parent just want your kids to get along? Like, your relationships with your kids really matters to you. You want them to love each other. That's paramount, right? I just want my kids to love each other, right? Father, looking at this group, I just want you to love each other. Just love each other. And Father kind of has a problem with us going, I love you, Lord, but not really now. I mean, he has a problem with that. We, you you, you got to be real careful about trying to like get away with singing how much you love God when you got a problem with somebody in the church. That's where churches become like plastic. How are you? Good. How's your week? Fine. I mean, come on, I love this verse because God just peels it all away and says, you know what, I want my kids to get along. Not just get along, I want my kids to love each other. If you say you love me, love each other. Start there. 
Start there, right? 1 John 3, 16 and 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Right? T, can you put back uh, the first part? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's the starting point. Before I get all bent on how Marco's just annoying, <laughs> always late, always waiting for Marco around here, you know? Just kidding, Marco's Marco's on time sometimes. But um <laughs> He's a working man, we understand that. He has to pay the bills. He's here. Right? Before I get bent and start making laundry lists of, of all the people around here that annoy me, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. God, check yourself. Check out and, and remember the love that was extended to you while you, the Bible says, while you were yet a sinner. At your very worst. When you wanted nothing to do with God, you were far away from God. Sitting in church this morning is the craziest thing that you ever, it, when, when you go, whoa, okay, wow, it's humbling, it's overwhelming, and you go, okay, Lord, it's impossible except for you and the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit is love, you gotta get to that place, right, Lord, yeah, I am a selfish, self-centered, individualistic, personal piece of fluence, prideful dude. And for me to love others that way, that's got to be a supernatural work of God. That's a miracle. Ask my older sister. <laughs> Just ask any of my siblings. It's a miracle that I'm even up here. Is is the way I grew up in. It's just all about me, right? I love this. We'll close with this before we take communion. It says this. The neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit that there is to the fellowship Christ wants to give his church. It's an imitation, dispensing liquor instead of grace, escape rather than reality. But it is a permissive, accepting, and inclusive fellowship. It is unshockable. It is democratic. You can tell people secrets, and they usually don't tell others or even want to. The bar flourishes not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and be known, to love and be loved. And so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. With all my heart, this writer concludes, I believe that Christ wants his church to be unshockable. A fellowship where people can come in and say, I'm sunk, I'm beat, I've had it. Alcoholics Anonymous has this quality. Our churches too often miss it. Right? How many of you remember Cheers? Right? I used to watch that. The dorms. UCLA, I gathered for that. You want to go where everybody 
Amen. You want to go, everybody knows your name. Walk through the door, Norm! <laughs> huh? Right? And y'all felt good. And you're just like, man, those are tight. And everyone walks into the floor, hey, Norm's here. And they just sit down and had a rough day, share their life, right? And we all kind of went on this journey of, of the cheers group, right? And what he's saying, you know what? what why was that? What, what resonated with this? Because we're made to, to love and be loved, to know and be known. And people out there, they're clubbing, they're going to the bars, they're doing their thing. Why? Because they found a group that accepts them for who they are. As a youth pastor, there's, there's this principle, when kids go to a new school, or they go you know, uh, in high school, predominantly high school, maybe even high school, what are kids doing on campus? They're looking for the social group that they believe accepts them for who they are. Right? So they kind of walk on campus and they're kind of checking out, where do I fit, where do I fit, right? And which group tends to be the most accepting? The group that's behind the bleachers. Right? The group that's maybe not doing, making the best choices in life and, and you know, that kind of, that group. And yet, why are kids drawn to that group? Because that group says, hey, just come. Come on. Just the way you are. Just come hang with us. Right? And so at the deep relational level, this kid who's looking to be accepted somewhere finds that group. May not even like what they do. May have been raised in the exact opposite of that. But on this campus, that group is the most loving, affirming, accepting, and welcoming. That's why they end up there. And I believe that's what they're saying here in the church. If we can start at the cross and understand the love and the grace that was given to us at our worst. And in the spirit, extend that to imperfect people sitting around us today. Then the church is alive. Then the church becomes attractive. Right? But what happens? Oftentimes the church becomes like this, like this. And people, maybe even today, welcome with your first timer. First timers come through that door. And what, is, what are they asking themselves? What is the first timer asking themselves here? Couple things. Do I fit? Am I welcome? Right? What's the dress code? Right? It's the same thing. If you thought peer pressure in junior high and high school went away, it happens at the church every Sunday morning. People are coming here through that door, wondering, looking at you mostly, not me, looking at you, wondering if you accept them, if they fit. Do I belong here? Or do I have to? Right? Do I have to? Is there a certain, certain thing around here? This is what we're talking about. Fellowship, relationship, uh, that relationship because partnership. But it's all rooted in agape love. Amen? All rooted in agape love demonstrated at the cross. Demonstrated at the cross. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you. For your agape love, Jesus. Thank you that while we were at our worst, you demonstrated your love that you died for us, for our benefit. And so thank you for that love. Thank you for that grace. And Lord, then you created the church and you said, hey church, I want you to love each other in the same way. And Lord, there's, there's absolutely no way we can do that. There's absolutely no way we can do that in our flesh. 
So we just really admit that this morning, that we need it to be a work of the Spirit. We need you, as the church, to be the church, to love one another. And then you say, Jesus, if we do that, the world will know we're your disciples, if we love one another as you have loved us. So we confess as the church, if we have not been doing that individually, we ask your forgiveness. We ask your forgiveness. If we've been more about getting something, if we've been more about me, myself and I, personal peace, affluence, pride, whatever it is, we confess it. Ask your forgiveness, Father. And Lord, maybe there's someone here today and they've never put their faith in you, Jesus, and they get it a little bit more that the church is really rooted in the love of Christ. And the church is made up of imperfect people just doing their best to follow Jesus. If that's you, then I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus. Just trust Him. Where you're at, really where you're at, because He already knows, and He's already loved you. It's demonstrated at the cross. That's how much He loves you. So just trust Him. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. So just rest in the finished work of Jesus for your salvation. And Father, this morning we prepare for communion. And this morning our heart for communion is to, just to remember your agape love, Jesus. In fact, you say, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So Jesus, we come this morning to the communion tables in remembrance that you laid down your life for us. But then also, as we stand in line and as we look around the room, we're reminded that that agape love is to be extended to our brothers and sisters in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to open up the communion tables. You can come forward, get a cup and some bread, take it back to your seats, and then um, we'll take communion together.